0: Welcome to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Today is Wednesday, November 29th, day 54 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel, Dan, here with our senior analyst, Khaviv Retigur, and Knesset reporter, Kerry Keller Lynn. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi. 10 Israelis and two Thai nationals were released from Gaza yesterday. Kerry has looked into the crimes committed by the hundreds of Palestinian prisoners that are released in the past several days. She's also reporting on threats from National Security Minister Itamar Ben Gvir to bring down the government if the war with Hamas doesn't continue. Khaviv is here and will drill down into why the war's continuation is so essential to many Israelis. All this and more when we're back.
1: Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed.
0: 84 year old Ditsa Hyman, Tamar Metzger, 78, from kibbutz near Oz, but not her husband Yoram, Ada Segi, also from kibbutz near Oz, Nora Agojo, but her husband Gidon Babani was murdered, Rimon Buchstav, but her husband Yegev is still in Gaza, teenager Maya Lemberg, her mother Gabrielle, and family member Clara Marmon. But not Noberto Luihar and Fernando Marmon, other family members. Kibbutz near Oz's Ophile Reutmann and Marav Tal from Kibbutz near Oz, but not her partner Yair Yaakov were all released last night. Carrie, underage and female Palestinian security prisoners were released at a ratio of three inmates per hostage freed. You've looked into the crimes they've committed. Can you please give us some sense of of who they are and, and what happened there?
2: So Amanda, the prison service has only um, released partial data compiled with the names of the prisoners released and, and their crimes, either alleged or uh, convicted. Uh, and Over half of these uh, prisoners were held for violent crimes is what we found, uh, including 10 of the 117 that were released in the first three days who were actually held for attempted murder, Uh, 13 for inflicting serious bodily harm, 19 for placing a bomb or throwing an incendiary device, and seven for shooting at people. Um, And so we don't know much about their stories beyond some that we found in the media. Uh, But we did find stories in the media tied to specific prisoners released that also include a would-be suicide bomber, um, as well as several women who, when they were teenagers, uh, stabbed or attempted to stab Israelis.
0: Where are these prisoners going back to, not to Gaza, as I understand it?
2: No, the vast majority are going to the West Bank or to East Jerusalem. Although, as we are now in the sixth day of this deal, because remember, uh, the deal was extended by two days. Um, two days ago, the government actually decided to add 50 more names to the potential prisoner release list. So out of a pool of, um, of 300, it's now 350. And these new names include Arab Israelis. So we might see um, some prisoners actually return within Green Line Israel.
0: And how are they put on this list? What makes them uh, acceptable for this list specifically? Just the fact that they're women and children?
2: So there were a couple of criteria placed by Hamas. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know the full extent of why the Justice Ministry selected these names. I do know that the Justice Ministry had to put them forward and then the cabinet did approve them. Um, But I know that some of them were requested by Hamas and they all fit the criteria of either being women or being um, males under the age of 18. There's one more criteria I should add, uh, because this is in line with Israeli law. None of them could have been convicted of committing murder.
0: Okay, thank you for that update. Carrie, you also are reporting on National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir, again threatening to break apart the government. But this time, it's because if Israel does not restart its war with Hamas, he says he would leave the coalition. Would his leaving the coalition actually do anything at this point?
2: Well, Amanda, there's so many variables at play. Uh, First off, he can threaten to leave the coalition and, and not leave the coalition. But if he left at this point there is still a chance for this government to survive because um, we remember that Benny Gantz's centrist National Unity Party actually joined the government uh, about a week or so into the war. And so this government could continue. It would have problems most likely after the war, especially as Netanyahu and Gantz um, have clashed quite publicly and Gantz has called for Netanyahu to not be the prime minister. And it's uh, presumable that especially if a, um investigation committee into how this war happened, the failures that led to this war happening were to progress and to lay some blame on Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, there might be tension that that could break this coalition apart very easily. So suffice it to say that Netanyahu wants to keep Ben-Gavir in his coalition for now, but should Ben-Gavir leave tomorrow, there is a way for it to survive. All right, Carrie,
0: thank you for all these updates. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are
1: not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like, my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel
2: Stories. Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now.
1: And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent
0: and just go. I texted him, on, like, after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their, like, blankie their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe.
3: I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war.
2: These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido.
1: Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism.
2: Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. Kerry just reported on National Security Minister Itamar ben Gvir's threats to leave the coalition if the war with Hamas doesn't restart on the ground, in the air, if the fighting doesn't restart. How likely do you think that is, that the fighting will not restart, even though our Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed, has said openly several times that it will indeed restart after all the hostages, or as many as possible, are freed?
3: That's a great question. It's a question most Israelis are asking right now. It's a question with many layers. So, one layer is the layer that Itamar Ben-Gvir is, is trying to play to. What does Netanyahu want? What is Netanyahu's goal? There are other people in the war cabinet, Gantz, Eisenkot, Gallant, the defense minister. But what is Netanyahu's goal? Ben-Gvir leaving the coalition right now wouldn't topple the coalition because the coalition includes Gantz's party and faction. Um, and, And therefore, Netanyahu doesn't need him. But the day after the war, if there's an election to survive, Netanyahu does need the far right. Um, Gantz's party won't be able to sit with him, run with him. Netanyahu knows that. He's collapsed in the polls. He's already launched, just in the past week, the campaign to survive after the war. He's met with members of Knesset of Likud to convince them not to replace him as the Likud candidate because he's very vulnerable. Uh, and he's told them that if he's not the prime minister after the war, then the Americans who've stood by Israel for the war and suffered political you know, shed political capital internally, domestically in America for the war, will then demand a Palestinian state. And the only person who can stand in the way of that Palestinian state is Netanyahu. And so that, now, never mind the, the actual substance of that argument. What that tells us is Netanyahu's full, you know, he's fully launched the campaign to survive the day after. That's what Ben-Gvir is speaking to. Ben-Gvir isn't telling Netanyahu I'm going to topple the government because he doesn't have the numbers. Netanyahu has guns for the duration of the war. But the day after the war, if you want me to be with you and not running against you and not refusing to let you be prime minister, Mr. Netanyahu, then you need to continue this war to the end, to the demolition of Hamas. More important than Ben-Gvir was the fact that Smotrich said that. Betzala Smotrich of the religious Zionism party yesterday or two days ago. So Netanyahu's entire far-right flank... Uh, and probably about a third of Likud with them will not stomach that. Now, the Israeli public needs to see the war continue. It needs to see the threat of Hamas gone. Netanyahu understands that politically. So just at the level of the political layer, it is hard to imagine the war stopping. Um, it's important to say that the the primary consideration isn't the political layer. And I say that even though for Netanyahu it often is, but I, I say that just because that's exactly where Gantz is. And frankly, that's where Lapid is. And that's really where the Labour Party is on on the left. And so um, the war to remove Hamas will continue. There is um, a, a chance, Hamas, probably understanding that the Israeli political system can't stomach an end to the war, Hamas is dangling the rest of the hostages in front of us. We want to get those hostages out. If the war continues to Khan Yunus, it it may not be possible anymore. We know that Hamas will start potentially executing them on television. So if we can get someone out, we're going to try and get them out. They can pause the war for that.
0: I think the real question, Khabib, is more how the United States plays into all of this. You're talking about the political level. But if we use all of our bullets or missiles in Gaza... Who is going to replace them if the United States is against our
3: continuance of the war? In the American domestic political debate, um, there's this view that President Biden has embraced Israel because he's on Israel's side. And I think President Biden's affinities are on Israel's side. I think he cares a lot about Palestinian civilian death toll, but he agrees that Israel should destroy Hamas. But Biden tried to do something much bigger than just take Israel's side. Biden tried to rein Israel in. The support for Israel was to prevent Israel from quote unquote going crazy, expanding to a larger regional war. And that remains true. In other words, if Biden, um, for domestic political reasons, cannot continue supporting Israel's war, and that actually affects the shipment of smart, precise missiles, Israel will fight the war with less smart and less precise missiles. And so uh, I think the Biden administration understands it, and it's doing everything it can to avoid that outcome in American domestic politics. But if that outcome, you know, it, it actually is what turns out, right, if the Democratic Party feels it's losing its progressive base, and therefore it can no longer afford to have this Biden policy toward Israel, um, I, My my own personal understanding from understanding what the Israelis are thinking is that the war then gets uglier. The war doesn't end. Um, and so I think the Americans understand that I want to keep supporting Israel. The war going forward, when the American administration this week said to Israel in the Khan Yunus battle, Gaza City will take a long time to actually crush all the last areas of Hamas, including the most um, crowded areas, Shejia, for example. But um, but then the battle turns south to Khan Yunus, and there we could see the same kind of hundreds of thousands of people fleeing, um, the same kind of death toll. And the Americans are saying to the Israelis, people don't flee, and you have to fight differently because it's costing us too much domestically. I don't know what influence that'll have in the actual strategy of the war. I can't imagine the war stopping for domestic political reasons, for simply the public demand that Hamas not be a threat in Gaza any longer. Um, and, and the Americans have this, this complicated um, position, which Israel needs to worry about, think about, but ultimately it's not going to stop the war, in my estimation.
0: There have been already several violations of the agreement, as far as we understand the agreement, by Hamas, including, of course, sending back a daughter without her mother. And then yesterday, we saw soldiers being shot at or, or I don't know, bombed in inside the Gaza Strip. And yet, the army is being very, very restrained. Are you surprised by this restraint at all, Khaviv? I'm not
3: surprised at all. Two things that need to be understood about the Israeli army— getting the hostages out is a major war goal it's not the war goal it's not the overarching war goal but it is a major one it's maybe the second most important war goal and if the army can delay and you know restrain itself for a couple of days and get the hostages out that's obviously worth it of course hamas is testing of course hamas is playing it's playing to domestic audiences it's saying look they can't stop us from shooting at them even in the ceasefire if the army thinks it has time and it has the political space granted it, not by the Americans, by the Israeli public, then it can afford to wait. It can afford to let the Mossad and the political echelon negotiate more hostages out. It can afford for that war goal to be achieved now and the other war goal to be achieved down the road. And Hamas's games don't matter. And so I'd be very surprised if for a single shot or three bombs exploding and a few soldiers being lightly injured, if for that the israeli army then breaks the hostage exchange that's going pretty pretty incredibly well i mean it's important to remember in 2011 the shalit deal was 1100 to one we're now doing three to one and we're doing three to one with hamas desperate for it to continue and doing everything it can for it to continue um so yes of course they're trying to continue to show that they're you know unbeaten and uncowed but the hostages are coming out pretty much at a, an industrial space in, in terms of hostage negotiations and hostage exchanges. So no, I'm not surprised that uh, the army has been restrained. I'm glad it's being restrained. And when the war continues, it'll have plenty of opportunity to find the people who blew up those bombs and fired those shots and, uh, and, and get rid of them.
0: In the October 7th massacre and hostage taking, an entire large extended family that is connected to you and your wife was taken or murdered. And Recently, in these past several days, several of them have been released, not, of course, the male members. One of those is, of course, Adi Shoham, whose beautiful daughter, Yahel, just captured my heart, and her son, Neve as well. Of course, her sister as well, Danielle, and Danielle's daughter, Emilia, were also freed. But again, not the father. So what are you hearing from this family?
3: The... The kids are back. Um, Yahel is three. Hamas held Yahel in a tunnel underground uh, for 50 days. They are, um, They are. as Shakid, um, their aunt, my wife's a good friend, um, her colleague uh, at, at uh, Lobby 99, where my wife works, it's a small organization. They are I think there may be 12, 13 employees, and and their and their close friends. And my, my wife really was helping to coordinate a lot of their international media attention, their efforts to get attention to their to the hostages from their family. Uh, Eleven members of their family went missing on October seventh. Three of them were found dead, um, and now all but one, um, the brother-in-law of Shaked, uh, have have been released in the last two days, um, and. Shakid explains that you know they they are physically basically okay not fully okay they weren't fed properly didn't sleep properly um the anxiety the tension the emotional uh tortures i mean we've heard from kids coming out of there that um every time they would be too loud there would be guns pointed at them so kids have come out of there whispering uh and terrified to speak loudly there's there are these many, many deep, deep, subtle things that they're not subtle if you're with the kid, but you, they're not visible when the kid walks out to the ambulances. Um, so there, there is that. There is that part of, of the experience. Um, this is a very strong family. This is a family that on October 8th, um, Shaked was, is now nine months pregnant and has been managing the family's campaign, international campaign. They met with the chancellor of Germany. They got on cnn and msnbc and television in india and germany and all over the world and she did that you know nine months pregnant with all these family members in in as hostages we we, ever every day that passed we were less and less convinced that this would work that that they would come out and as the war in gaza progressed there was a higher and higher chance that they would just literally be killed in the actual war and then suddenly they're all but one are out and uh, and the dad, Tal, it, I, I hope he knows. We know that some of them were allowed to watch television. Um, I hope he knows that his family is out. And, um, you know, with any luck, this hostage exchange will continue and he'll get out. But so the kids are physically they 're going to recover physically, um, the emotional uh, part is going to take years it's it 's a part of their childhood. It is so extended, and it was so awful that it 's not going to you know they watched family members be murdered, then got taken away into these dungeons, and then were treated by Hamas fighters the way they were treated for fifty days um, so they're they 're struggling to come out of it, but they are a strong family. they are all together. They mounted a fierce campaign, an astonishing campaign. Um, Shaked's mom, when she came out, actually, one of the things she said was that she had a lot of hope and she didn't lose that hope in the tunnels. And the reason is that she knew uh, that her daughter was going to turn the world upside down. And so that's that's a feeling that, you know, you that that apparently I have never, I can't imagine the experience they went through, but apparently that's a lot. That holds you for quite a bit, knowing that.
0: Khaviv, thank you so much for this. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to today's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. If you have a comment or question about today's episode or any others, please write to podcast at timesofisrael.com. This installment was produced by The Podwaves. Until tomorrow, shalom.